It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome back, everybody, to Everyone Talks to Liz. You know, I want to reveal that when I first entered business news, I had no business being in business news. (laughs) I was a local news reporter and anchor. So on any given day, I was covering explosions, drug busts, crack house busts with the, you know, with the SWAT team. I was I was covering chocolate festivals and, you know, as I've said before, whale carcasses off the coast of Rhode Island. But when I made that transition to business news, there was a huge, unbelievable learning curve. You know, let's call it vertical. Of course, I was trying to pretend everything was right there with me and that I knew it all. But inside, I was like a duck, you know, that looks calm on the surface, but the legs are frantically kicking. I was frantically trying to get up to speed without people knowing that I didn't know what I was talking about. Okay. So there was one particular website that literally became my best friend, an instant encyclopedia of business and stock and bond market terms and explanations on you know, how the Federal Reserves work, how they move markets, what derivatives are, and basically you know, anything involving the huge spectrum of investing. That website, Investopedia. Yep, this is the Investor Dictionary and Encyclopedia website where I, and I'm 100% sure a ton of people on Wall Street who act like they know everything actually learned their early knowledge. And many, including me, still use it today. But the website itself is known by millions and millions around the world. Not many people know the story behind the editor-in-chief. Caleb Silver started his career filming Bears in South America. Okay, I I can't even. You you have to hear it from him. How did he pivot from that to business genius and explainer of all things in the business and stock market world? Well, let's ask him now. Caleb, welcome to Everybody Talks to Liz. So good to be here. And I had no business in this business either. So you and I are birds of a feather. (laughs) Well, this is good for our listeners because it just proves that even though somebody asks you to do something you don't know how to do, you say sure, and then you start learning how to do it, right? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I was a restaurant guy for 12 years before I even got into the documentary business, before I even got into business journalism. So I, your, your learning curve was vertical. Mine was right there with you going straight up the waterfall, the ice waterfall with no picks. Oh boy, that is such a great way of describing it because there were so many times, I think my first story I was assigned at CNBC They came up to me and said, we need you to do a story on Dell Computer's business model. Because at the time, you didn't go to a store and buy a Dell. You went direct to the website. You called the company and you designed it yourself, which was highly unusual at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, what's a business model? I mean, how embarrassing is that? But you have to tell me. Sorry. Okay. So now you've got the restaurant thing thrown in there. Let's start with that, and then we'll get to the bears in South America. What do you mean the restaurant business? Well, I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is a great restaurant town. One of my best friend's families owned a big popular restaurant right in the middle of town where we basically grew up as, you know, little uh, rugrats and BMXers and skateboarders and teenagers. (laughs) 
uh, in that restaurant, eating there almost every single day. But then we ended up working there. But there's so many good restaurants there. So my summer jobs or my weekend jobs were as a prep cook or as a busboy, eventually, you know, as a waiter making some real money at the time, and then a manager of a restaurant. And I thought I'd be in the restaurant business my whole life. Um, but there was this burning desire to do documentaries, to do some storytelling. And I lived in New Mexico, which is gorgeous, especially northern New Mexico. So much going on up there. I just was attracted to that as well. So I had this dual life going on. But when I finished college, I came back to New Mexico and I did restaurant work to make some money. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I bought myself a TV camera. Liz, you'll appreciate this. It was a beta SP. That was videotape, right? Heavy cameras, big, heavy bricks on the batteries. I bought myself a tripod, learned how to shoot and started stringing for local news stations in New Mexico. No internet at the time, Liz. We're talking kind of pre-internet, pre-email, really. So I was calling up the station saying, you want me to cover this thing up in you know, Taos or Angel Fire or in Santa Fe, and I'll drive the tape back down to you in Albuquerque? That's what I was doing to get it going. Oh, my gosh. I remember yeah, pre-satellite, my first job in news was as an overnight production assistant at KCBS in L.A., and they'd say, drive to Burbank Airport. There's a tape coming in at the luggage, you know, pickup. And I'm thinking, you know, trying to find a little tape at the luggage terminal at at Burbank or LAX, whichever. I mean, it was so different than no satellites. We're really old, Caleb. Oh my God. Okay. So tell me your first documentary. Well, my first documentary was doing a wildlife documentary on black bears in Northern New Mexico for a wildlife center. It was an educational video about black bears and 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 their territories and how they how they uh, hibernated in the winter and their behavioral patterns and also how to preserve the land around them in the in the wildlife areas of northern new mexico so literally just learn how to shoot getting out there with game and fish on four wheelers driving deep into the gila wilderness or up into northern new mexico into black bear country darting bears in their den to put them to sleep, to knock them out so we could tag them and tag the babies and following these incredible game and fish uh, officers around. That was my introduction. Oh, my my God, I'm not waiting tables anymore. I'm in the bear den with the black bears and game and fish with actual bears here. That was my first documentary. And your parents are thinking what at this point? They're thinking, thank God he's out of the restaurant because I didn't think they wanted that. (laughs) Thank, thank God he took the apron off and gave him back the pad and the pen because this guy, we didn't send him to college for four years for him to uh, wait tables in downtown Santa Fe. All due respect, I've made great living doing that and a lot of good friends. Well, you also had the burning desire to tell stories, as you said. So were there any moments where you felt like, what am I doing? This is dangerous. Absolutely. But I love that. You know the thrill. The first time you see your work on videotape or you see your first piece on the news or you write something for an anchor and it comes out of their mouth. Once you get hooked on that, Liz, you and I know there's no going back, right? We that, That's our oxygen, seeing our stuff broadcast out there, repeated or seeing ourselves doing that, not in a narcissistic way, but in a wow, I can really shape the power of what I'm saying and what people are hearing. And I have something to say or a story to tell. Once I got that, it was over. Well, also, it's it's very much about knowing that what you did goes before a lot of people and they see your work. It's like a byline in a newspaper when you write your first article and it says by Caleb Silver or Liz Clayman. You, mom, 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 look at this. You know, Put it on the exciting. fridge. Yeah. 
exactly. And and so it, I get it. It is very much that Pavlovian response. Wow, you know, like Pavlov's dogs, you get all excited and you say, I got to get back out there again. So where did your documentary efforts take you from there? Well, I decided to do a vision quest. I was about 24 years old. I was in back in Santa Fe where I grew up, but I came to school out east at Colgate University. So I was back in Santa Fe working, trying to get my string in for the news, shooting for uh, environmental campaigns, shooting for political ads, whatever I could get the money uh, or get a client. I was doing that type of work. But I said, I want to get out of here and do a vision quest. I want to hit the road a la Jack Kerouac or, or um, uh, Che Guevara. Uh, and so I took my beta... Beta SP video camera, the 25 pounds of it, a bunch of battery bricks, a bunch of videotape, a tripod, a backpack. And I flew to Mexico City, Liz, and then I hitchhiked and worked my way all the way down to southern Chile for about five or six months, volunteering for different environmental groups along the way, shooting campaign footage. And how did I do this pre-email? I was faxing these groups like Greenpeace in Brazil or Ancient Forest International in, in, uh, in Chile or Rios Tropicales in Costa Rica and saying, hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. I speak some Spanish. I have TV camera uh, and equipment. I will shoot for you for room and board or a little bit of money to get me through and take me from place to place. Are you interested? And almost every one of them miraculously faxed me back. We're talking about faxes here. And I was on my way. So I planned an, an itinerary, but I really took my time going from place to place. And that was hitchhiking. That was riding on buses. That was riding on, on in the back of weird bands and didn't know where my gear was and meeting strangers and having an amazing time in the early 90s. And uh, changed my life basically. That's what it took me down there, and I and that from that point on, my life changed dramatically. Well, that that feels like the Jack Kerouac part on the road, taking chances in life and hitchhiking. I mean, it's almost quaint now because you can't do that in many cases do down today. in South America. Yeah, exactly. It's so dangerous, but there are places where you can still do that and reach for your dreams. You get back and. Then what happens? Time to get an, an actual paid job with benefits. What, at what point did you reach that wall? Well, I, the funny thing was I was making money doing that. And I was also shooting for hire for other projects. So I was able to scratch it together. I had a really good hustle game going, but I don't want to leave out a key thing. When I was in South America, I was traveling through the River Plate, Buenos Aires uh, and Uruguay and Montevideo, Uruguay. And my father said to me, hey, if you go through Uruguay, there's a guy there that used to live with me as a foreign exchange student. Um, he was, uh, you know, he was sort of the exchange on the exchange program living in Knoxville, Tennessee. Go stay with him and his family for a few days, get a shower, clean yourself up, get right, and then get back on the road. This guy lived with me for a year, and I'd heard about this guy for years. So I faxed this guy and I said, Hey, I'll be in your neck of the woods in, in Montevideo and Buenos Aires on these days. Um, will you be there? And he said, Sure, uh, but we're going to go, you know, we'll, we'll be here when you get here and we'll come get you. Sure enough, he sends his daughter, who's 21 at the time and beautiful, to pick me up at the bus station. I fall in love. We fall in love eventually after I cleaned up a little bit. And that woman is now my wife. And she is stop. the daughter. Okay, the stop. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? That's a true story. That She's is a true the story. the daughter of the guy that stayed with your dad years and years ago? In Knoxville, Tennessee in 1961. That's true. And we're still uh, we're still happily married, and our families just think this is the coolest thing in the world, and so do we, by the way. But the truth is, we we fell for each other, and um, she's uh, you know, multilingual. Wanted to get her PhD, wanted to come to the states for it. I had the journalism bug. I wanted to go to J school, 
So we applied to a bunch of different schools around the country, both got into schools in New York, she at Columbia, me at NYU at, journalism, at the journalism program, got our degrees, young students in New York City, scratching it together. And that ultimately led me to the news business in the late 90s. I, this, is, this is epic. That is, that's a one for the ages. And I've heard a lot of those types of stories. That's easily in the top two. One day I'll tell our listeners the number one and no, it doesn't involve me. It involves my little brother, but wow, that is so cool. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. Hey folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. So the news business, let's get to that. All right. I'm in J school. It's the late 90s. The internet bubble is starting to get pretty foamy, a lot of pretty frothy in that bathtub. And um, <laughs> at NYU, NYU has an internship exchange with Bloomberg. Bloomberg TV was just starting at the time. You remember these days. They didn't really know what they were doing. They were just like, make TV. We have time on this channel. We paid for it. And we're in all these languages. So I went in there as an intern, but because I could shoot and edit for my early days as a documentary producer, I was both being paid by NYU as a graduate assistant, but I knew how to shoot and edit. So I could go pitch stories to the assignment editors and producers of Bloomberg and say, I can go out there and shoot this myself, or I can come back and cut it. Can I go do this? And they're like, please, by all means. My first story, Liz, for Bloomberg, the first time I really saw my work on, on finance TV was interviewing Tony Bennett, who is at Sesame Street for some crazy reason. I just pitched this like, hey, Tony's at Sesame Street. Can I go? They're like, great. I interviewed Tony. I got to meet Big Bird. I put that piece on television and it was one of the best days of my life. <laughs> See, this again comes full circle to just take the plunge. Glory goes to people who take chances in life. And that goes for Bloomberg TV, too. I mean, they're our competitor, but so what? Then you jump to CNN. That's the big time at this point because they got started in the 80s. Right. So I was at uh, Bloomberg TV, spent about eight years there, and I started doing a lot of technology coverage, covering Internet companies, launched a bunch of segments that you know have come and gone, tech check. WebWatch, we've all used those, those segment names over and over. And I had a great run there at eight years, but then I was recruited over to CNN, to CNN FN. And you'll remember CNN FN as yeah, the third, news. 
business news channel. Good channel, but it was more softer. It was a little more personal financing, though it did have some some hard news. Um, I was recruited over there, and uh, within about six months, they shut that down. So I said that was probably the worst career move I could have made. But when they shut it down, I was shoulder tapped, and uh, you know, one of my mentors over there said, "You're staying." Um, we want to bring you into CNN proper. We'd like to bring you over to the assignment desk, uh, the New York City, the New York Northeast assignment desk and cover business news too. I jumped right into that. I started the early shift on, you know, with two beepers on my, on my belt covering, you know, as the assignment editor in New York City, covering all the, you know, all the, uh, the, the fire alerts and all the, the bomb scares that come in on those pagers, but also assigning crews and really learning how the news business worked from the inside out as an assignment editor leaving the producer job to run sort of operations for news gathering? Well, um, you know, to see CNN from the inside, and, and my husband worked there for, for quite some time, it's, it's incredible. Uh, Fox comes along, Fox, incredible. Uh, the newbie on the block ends up beating everybody. Fox launches Fox Business. I was already at CNBC, so I jumped to Fox Business because they recruited me, and I thought, eh, I've never done a startup before. Granted, it's a startup with the Fox brand behind it, but you made a, just as an interesting pivot, in my opinion, by jumping to Investopedia. Tell me how that came about and what that pivot was like. So I stayed with kind of t- close to business news throughout my 10 years at CNN. And then um, ultimately, I decided to leave and reform my production company because I wanted to get back into the documentary business and I wanted to get back into the custom content business. I had a big network. So I left CNN uh, in 2014 and started uh, my production company here in New York, Frog Pond Productions, to do documentaries, to work with custom clients, um, to do live events. And I did that for a couple of years until I saw the opening at Investopedia for a VP of content. And Investopedia is part of the IAC family, Barry Diller's holding company, IAC Interactive Corp. And I was fascinated with the fact that they had purchased Investopedia. I couldn't figure out why. So the more I got into investigating what was going on, the more interested I became in coming to work here. Okay, but it is an interesting uh, learning curve. Even if you've done business news, is it not? Because so many terms technology. And I really encourage everybody to go on investopedia.com and you just start perusing. It's almost like reading the world book. Now I'm showing my age or Encyclopedia Britannica, but in the most easy and understandable format. And you could just get lost in all of these terms. Everybody needs to take control of their own finances and understand this game because the big boys on Wall Street do. And to me, Investopedia is that key weapon to democratizing investments. Do you see it that way? Absolutely. And you know what? It was really early in the game, Liz. This website, Investopedia, is 23 years old. 23 in internet years is like 230 years in real life years. Founded by four gentlemen in Alberta, Canada in 1999, right when the internet bubble was about to pop, because they saw you on CNBC, they saw what was going on on CNN, FN, they saw what was going on on Bloomberg, and the language of investing was changing and becoming more commonplace, and you were starting to hear words like EBITDA, 
profit margin, business model. They were becoming part of the vernacular. Stocks like Yahoo, AOL, uh, Amazon were starting to pop and come to the, the forefront. And all of a sudden, the retail investor became a very engaged part of the market, which opened up the idea to these guys, we should put a dictionary of investing terms online because there's a company in Mountain View, California called Google, two guys in their garage that want to index the internet. And if we put this dictionary online, maybe they'll point to it and people will come look at it and look at our our, our definitions. Furthermore, people want to get into this business. So why don't we put up tutorials on series six, series seven, series 53, put all the series exams up there too, because we could become a destination for people that want to enter the industry, but we could also become the dictionary for anybody that wants to understand money. And it was a it's really good idea. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And you've overseen it for several years now. My interesting point when it comes to you it is how you watched it morph. And I'm talking about from when you first got there to now, the number of eyeballs, the number of daily active users. How have you seen that trajectory move? Our traffic has just grown, uh, I wouldn't say exponentially, but significantly every single year for a bunch of different reasons. But the thing is about, and, and this was a, I had to evolve as a journalist. I'm a business journalist like you. I'm seeking the story. I want to move forward. I want what's mm -hmm. new. I want what's hot. That's how I, that's how I roll. But Investopedia is very different. In your business, Liz, it's push. Extra, extra, read all about it. This just in, breaking news, developing story. Check it out over here. Here I am. This is new. In my business, it's pull, right? People don't come to Investopedia to browse around like they're reading the world book on the couch at home. They come there because they're, they have intent. And intent is a very significant motivating factor in our business because you're not here by accident. You're here because you have a question. The question may be, how do I start investing $10,000? Or what is EBITDA? Or what's a good profit margin for a growth company? Or what is a derivative or an NFT? Or how does the blockchain work? That's a, those are very intentional questions. And you either want to do something or you want to learn something. So instead of me chasing news, and we do a fair amount of news in our educational way, we have to think about what people are thinking about what's going to bring them to our story. So you, Fox Business, or any of the business outlets may be the first one with the Amazon earnings results. We, we're not going to compete there. We can't. What we're really good at is saying, how does Amazon make money? Or what are Amazon's most profitable businesses? We have that piece. We'll update that every quarter because that's new information on a second, on a second leg story, so to speak. The deeper, the deeper question that users want to ask after they see the results, if they're really evaluating a company, that's where we win. Caleb, what are the top searches right now for terms and words? Well, you won't be surprised, and I've come on your show to talk about this, a lot of crypto-related stuff, right? Everybody wants to know about the new coins. They want to know how these coins work. They want to know the difference between a Bitcoin or a Bitcoin cash, or they want to know what the historical trading patterns of our Bitcoin or how it's mined or how many. So we have a lot of questions about that right now in this environment, sort of getting into you know late November, early December, people are looking into taxes because that's a key part of what's going on right now. But also they're concerned about higher taxes potentially coming their way. So they're looking into that. They're also looking into things like NFTs, uh, but also as we follow their behavior and their anxiety and they first they go to learn, our readers come to learn about something, and then a lot of them want to take action. So they're seeking opportunities to put money to work. How do you vet your definitions? How do you make sure that they are pure, 
not politically motivated or motivated by other headlines. And I think about this because I read an incredible book called The Professor and the Madman. It's the making of the Oxford English Dictionary. It involved a professor who tackled it, you know, back in the day, and he used a prison man, this criminal who had been committed forever because he was absolutely crazy, but he was brilliant. And he and the professor worked on the definitions to make sure they were so pure. How do you come up with your definitions? That, I'm putting that on the reading list, first of all. Oh, you so got to read it. It's the best book. Thank you for that. Um, so a lot of our definitions were written a long time ago, right? We're 23 years old. So a lot of mm-hmm. these came you know, in the early part of the 2000s, but we've added them every single year. And this year, I must have added, not me, but our team must have added a thousand new definitions, whether they were NFT related or crypto related, or because of the incredible monetary and fiscal stimulus measures that were uh, passed and used amid the pandemic. So there's all kinds of new stuff, as you can imagine. But in general, what we spend a lot of time, money, and people power on is updating our terms constantly. So we have a definition of CPI, consumer price index. It's been there since 2000, probably 2001. But every month, as you know, we get a new reading on that. So we'll do a drop in there. But we also don't just have regular old people writing it. Our our credibility, our trustworthiness, and our reputation is built on our on who's writing these articles, and then who's editing these articles, and ultimately who's reviewing them. So everything has a We have a financial review board that reads and reviews all of our articles and thumbs up us or thumbs down if they need work. We don't put it out until it's thumbs up. And so we have this sort of triple uh, layer of checking and expertise that we attach to all our definitions and updating them constantly. That's why you find them when you're looking for them on Google or pick your search engine. Tell me about the most interesting person you've ever interviewed. Well, I've been lucky because I was a, in the documentary business for a while. So I got a chance to interview His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That was pretty cool. Um, wow. In terms of fame and people that you know give you some notoriety, Jay-Z, I've loved interviewing. He's a great <laughs> interview, fascinated with him. Charlie Munger is one of my favorite people in the world. I don't know him that well personally, but every interview I've had with him, and I know you've been able to speak to him. Amazing. just pouring wisdom into my brain until right. it just wants to explode the with charts. the simplest words, yes. right? The simplest, the simplest possible words. So those are those are three of my favorites. But I've been really lucky to have been able to interview a lot of interesting people, just like you, over my career. Well, in his simplest words, when I asked him five years ago about Bitcoin, his response very calmly and quietly was "rat poison." <laughs> uh, Caleb, what a delight! What a delight to hear your story because it checks so many points that we love to hear about on Everyone Talks to Liz, and that is taking chances, jumping into areas where most people would say you have no business, and following your passion. Thank you so much. Thank you. The honor is mine. I'm such a big fan, Liz. Caleb Silver of Investopedia. Guys, ladies, take those chances. Dive into that water. I don't care if you don't know how shallow or deep it is. Life is way too short. And and uh, it's, it's at least long enough that you can take an hour out and watch 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, the claim and countdown on Fox Business. Find out more about your money there and Investopedia. Have a great day. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.